pleasure to be here with you. It's been a while since I've had an opportunity to deliver a message, so I'm honored that I can be a part of this series called Christmas at the Ridge, and where we are looking at the phrase, do not be afraid. And today we're going to look specifically at Joseph, who was the earthly father of Jesus. And what we're going to look at is the tough decision that he had to make. We're going to look how he felt about the consequences of that and how he must have been afraid as to exactly what that might look like. Let me begin with it. When we're talking about choices, though, let me ask this. How many choices do you think that you've made so far today? Have you made a dozen? Have have you made two dozen? Is it something north or south of that? Well, this might surprise you, but probably by this time of the day, you have made somewhere around fifteen to 18,000 choices. A little extra caffeine in that coffee, huh? Think about it, though. Every step I take, left, right, backwards, forwards, every glance to my left or the right, every word, that's actually a choice. And most of the choices that we make... There is, well, to every one of those choices, there's a consequence, but most of those consequences are inconsequential, if you will. I mean, I step over here, I've made a choice, but the only consequence is I'm standing in this space rather than in this space. So, no big consequence. But some of the consequences, some of the choices we make, those have pretty significant consequences. It looks something like this. Let me explain this. Maybe this will bring a little bit of clarity to you, but imagine. We This process goes on about 50,000 times a day, so that's why you may be upwards of about 18,000 at this point in the day. It all, it all starts with a trigger, and that trigger is a sense that you have. So you taste something, see something, smell something, touch something, hear something. So it comes in, and you've got, you've got a sense. And immediately you have a thought about that sense. Then there's an emotion tied to that. Now let me go through everything that I know about neurology in about 30 seconds, because I, as, as I understand it, obviously that the sense comes in through the, the, the cortex of the brain, and, and where we think emotionally is, is basically in the middle of the brain, and where we think rationally is more up towards the front. I guess a lot of it's on the left, but, but you think rationally up here. So you have the trigger, you have the thought, and then it passes up through there, uh, up through the emotional highway, and then it takes the off-ramp to hopefully some rational thought. And then as a, a result of that emotion and that rational or that thought, you then make a choice as to what you're going to do about that. But with every choice, again, comes a consequence. Maybe not a big one, but can be a big one. Let me give you an example. So a number of years ago, I was working in downtown Indianapolis, and early one morning, I was walking over to one, I walked over one of the bank towers for a client meeting, and I was in the lobby uh, of the bank, and went to, the, went to the elevator, pushed the button. Just as I was starting to step in, a young woman stepped up and to, to ride the elevator with me. Um, so we stepped into it, door shut. I immediately smelled her perfume. And I also knew immediately that was the same perfume that my first grade teacher wore. Absolutely. I knew that was the same perfume that her name was was Dorothy Wissing. uh, And that was her perfume. You know how you, especially the sense of smell can just take you back so far. And it's something that you'd even forgotten. You all of a sudden, it just kind of comes rushing back. I just knew for certain that that trigger, that perfume, made me think of Dorothy Wissing, and now the emotion behind that, well, 
Mrs. Wissing was wonderful. Oh, she was such a sweet woman. By the time I had her in the first grade, she was getting pretty close to retirement at that point. Um, and she had not ever had any, she and her husband Wally had never had any children of their own, but she had had a thousand children, right? I mean, she, she loved uh, being a teacher. All the students loved her. And the emotion that I especially thought of was getting to school on a cold morning and having that warm hug from Mrs. Wissing. Which is why whatever I chose to do next, there were going to be some consequences to it. If I made the wrong choice, there could be some really big consequences. What were my options? Well, doors close, starts to go up, I'm in the elevator, occupancy of two right now, and I turned to the lady, I could have turned to her and said, you smell just like my first grade teacher. Consequence, pepper spray. I'm guessing, you know, something like that. Option number one. Option number two, I just have a nice quiet moment. I think about this lovely lady, long gone, but the memory's still there of her love and her kindness, and I think, what a wonderful way to start my day. Now, you're having a thought, and that thought is, oh, dear Lord, please tell me he chose number two. I'm a little spontaneous, I suppose you might say. Yeah, I chose number two. Come on, give me a little bit of credit. I wouldn't have done that. Look, let's go back to this. Let's go through this again. Trigger. Your best friend calls you and says, hey, I'll tell you what, until you're over this religion kick you're on, maybe we ought to put a little bit of distance in between our relationship. Thought. This person's my rock. They've known me longer than anybody other than my family. Emotion, confusion, panic, fear, choice. Well, what do you choose? Because I, I, whatever you choose, there are going to be consequences to it. Trigger. Your closest associate at work, you find out they're embezzling money from the company. Thought. Emotion, choice, consequence, what do you do? Trigger, you find out that your son has been arrested for using drugs. Thought, emotion, choice, consequences. The big question is this. What do you do when you are afraid to make the difficult choice? Today we're going to look at a passage from the book of Matthew. Matthew is the, the first book, one of the four Gospels, first book of the New Testament. And we're going to look at the first chapter and the verses, eight, uh, verses 18 through 24. And this is around, this is, uh, uh, is uh, our verses around the birth of Christ. And what we're going to, what, we'll just get started on this, but what we're going to do is, is we're going to stop, uh, start and stop several times too, because we have to realize what this means in the context of what the culture at that time meant, because that's different from, from here. But so, so let's just dig in, and this is where, uh, where we're going to start. Um, it says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be mar- married to Joseph. All right, stop right there. What do we know about Joseph? Well, the fact is, is we don't know hardly anything about Joseph. 
I mean, we really know almost nothing. Now, there are multiple Josephs throughout the, uh, throughout the Bible. Uh, and probably the one that we know the most about, the one that gets the most press, is uh, Joseph the prophet in, in Genesis in the Old Testament. Um, he's the one with the Technicolor dream coat. And he gets 13 chapters and his own Broadway musical. Right. So we know quite a bit about him. So wouldn't you think we'd get a little bit more about this Joseph? Nope, nope, we don't at all. In fact, all that we really get about him, we, we don't know a single word that he says in the Bible. There's no references to him ever saying anything. What we do know is, is that he, he uh, at one point, he lived in um, uh, Nazareth, which is a city in, in northern, um, northern Israel. We know that he was probably a carpenter because Jesus was a carpenter and he was the oldest in the family and so he probably had taken his, his father's profession. And then we, we also know that he was related in some way to King David. But that is really just about the only thing that we know about him. He shows up four times in scriptures. He shows up once, uh, or, or actually in, uh, once in both of the Gospels of Matthew and also in Luke around the narrative of the birth of Jesus. Then he appears twice in the book of John the Gospel of John, but that's only as a reference to say uh, Jesus, or Joseph, the father of Jesus. Other than that, we don't know anything about him. Couldn't we have gotten a chapter or two? Wouldn't it have been nice to know just a little bit more about him? I mean, couldn't we have had like, you know, a nice little story about him walking out of an Iowa cornfield to play catch with, a, with Jesus? You know, that'd been nice, something like that. Or maybe if, uh, if he would have just over-decorated the house with so many lights that it drained the whole, uh, the whole village of electricity. Something that we could relate to. But we don't get any of that. So why are we talking about him then? It's because of his choice. It's because of the decision that he made. His willingness to make a difficult decision to be obedient to God when everything in his gut and probably everyone around him was telling him to do just the exact opposite. And more on that later. Look, it's human nature for us to judge ourselves on intent. There are any number of things that I have intended to do in my life, and even maybe have announced publicly that I was going to do them, and most of them maybe I did, but there's a whole lot of them that I didn't do. For a lot of different reasons, but I didn't get around to it. But you know what? In my, in my, my heart, I meant to do them. Doesn't that count for something? But other people don't judge us on our intent, right? They judge us on our action. It's our action that matters to them. We can talk and talk about accomplishing this or, or standing up for that, but if we don't act on the intent, if we don't do something, well, how do you measure that? Joseph, as we're about to see, he doesn't say anything. He just does. Okay, so let's get back to the passage. And this is what comes next. But before the marriage could take place, while she was still a virgin, she, meaning Mary, became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we better stop right there and talk about this. We need to look at this passage, in, again, in the context and the terms of what it meant culturally and religiously at that time. But even before we do that, let's try to imagine what that conversation must have looked like between Mary and her fiancé, Joe. How do you think she tried to sell this one? She tells the story, and then Joseph goes, okay, okay. Make sure I got my facts right here. So you go to bed one night, 
Holy Spirit shows up, boom, next morning you're pregnant. Got it right so far? Oh, oh, wait, oh, I, I left out one fact too. And also, the baby is going to be the Messiah. Are we good? Mary, take a look at me. Do I look that stupid? I mean, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what era it was. She would have thought it. You would have thought it too. I mean, that whole story seems so outlandish to us. And just think about how he must have felt at that moment. How embarrassing for Joseph. How embarrassing for Mary. For their family. This was a mess. But there's more than to this than what we imagine. Because this is not 2021. This is not a 2021 engagement. This is not just simply, well, hey, here's the ring, let's go tell our parents. No, this is a binding contract. If you were engaged at that time, and you broke off that, that uh, engagement, it was considered a divorce. And, and in fact, it's even going to say that he can even consider divorcing her. If you died after you were engaged, the survivor would be called either a widow or a widower. You just didn't, after you make the commitment, this just wasn't something that you did on the spur of the moment. But there's more to it than that, too. Besides being a legally binding contract, the culture was that if this happened out of wedlock, if you became pregnant out of wedlock, especially if it was such that the father was not your was not the the child of the baby, that was punishable by death. Mary could have been stoned to death. We won't get in at this point as to why Joseph would have gotten off free, but that's what could have happened to Mary. So here's the next part. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the break the engagement quietly. Actually, in some scriptures it says, though, to divorce her quietly. Okay. Now consider Joseph's options here at this point. And I guarantee you, there's not a single one of them that has an upside. All right, it, it doesn't appear to him at this point. From what we read, I think it's clear that he, he truly loved Mary, and he wanted to do it right. So what he decided was, and in his mind he must have been thinking this, going, look, okay, tell you what, you go off You go off and live with some family out of town. Have the baby. You and the kids start up there. I just stay here and and just go on with my life. That's what he must have decided he wanted to do, right? But remember, Nazareth is a small town. People are going to talk. They're going to know about this. Hey, there's Joseph over there. Did you hear? Did you hear who she said the dad was? Wish she would have stayed. I've always wanted to meet the Messiah. So option number one, divorce quietly and live with the embarrassment. Option number two, go ahead with the wedding. Raise the illegitimate child, and that is what Jesus would have been called. And think about it, that is probably what he was called. In that town, he probably was branded as being an illegitimate child, but raise him and live with the discredit the lack of acceptance, the sullied reputation that would impact Joseph, both his personal life and his professional life forever. Joseph makes the call. Option number one, wedding's off. But our story isn't over. Here's the rest of the passage. 
As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And the prophet is talking about there, that this is the, a, a partial, partially from the verse in Isaiah 7.14 in the Old Testament. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. That is quite a dream. Why don't I have dreams like that? I do have a a recurring dream, though. I have a recurring dream, and I even had it last night because probably because I was thinking about telling you this this story today. But here's the dream, and I do. I have it so much. Um, I I have taken a job with this with this business, um, but nobody can tell me what I'm supposed to do. So when I show up, I don't have anything to do. And when I ask them, "Well, well, tell me what does the company do? Nobody can even tell me what the company does. And so then I, I leave, I, I leave, but now I can't find my car or my pants. I mean, it's not quite as powerful, I understand, uh, as someone coming and saying, hey, I want you to be the earthly father of the man who will save the world, but it's all I got right now. The passage is powerful in countless ways here, but the phrase we're keying in on today in this series is, do not be afraid. When have you been in a situation where you felt there were no good choices? Just maybe one that stunk less than the rest of them. But in your heart of hearts, did you ever feel that none of the choices was the right thing to do? Now see, that, that's a completely different question altogether. See, once the angel had told Joseph what his future held and what he needed to do, it was clear that he understood he had to. He had to take Mary as his wife. He had to accept the responsibility of parenting the child of God. It was the right thing to do because it honored God over the opinions of what people might think. And God had made a choice too. Let's don't forget that. He had chosen Joseph to be the father of the Savior. But, remember, by making the right God-led choice, Joseph was also choosing to live with the consequences for the rest of his life. And we don't even know how long that was. We know that it was at least until Jesus was 10. But after that, there's no record of him whatsoever. So we don't know how long that, that he lived. But people were going to, as he walked by, were going to glance sideways. And when he got past, there were going to be chuckles. And there were going to be jokes. And people were going to roll their eyes over that old Holy Spirit story. Sometimes it doesn't seem like there are any good choice. And out of fear, which is understandable, we choose the favor of people over God. But for me, that's just never worked out. It's never worked out well. There's what I'd call there's this kind of this rhythm of regret that just goes over and over and over again. It's as if when I make those decisions, I sense God saying, come back. i got so much for you to learn, so, much, so many ways for us to grow closer, but the path you're on is going the wrong direction, and it's going further away from me. 
Maybe you find yourself at a crossroads where you must make a difficult decision. And you're afraid. What will people think? What will I have to give up? Can I stay on that course? I'm not that strong. I believe there are decisions that we can make with hope, and we can make them with courage, that will sustain us through the challenges ahead. Let me just offer you three of them. This is the first one. Trust that God will honor your decision, regardless of how difficult it might be to make it. I truly believe He will bring you peace. Will that peace always be there every single minute of your life? No. We are all human. But a peace will come over us because of doing the right thing. A few months ago, I visited a place that I never want to go back to. It's the World War II concentration camp in southern Poland known as Auschwitz and Birkenau. There's actually 40 camps there. And Auschwitz is the most well-known, but it's not the largest. Birkenau, this is Auschwitz. This is the entry to Birkenau over here. You've seen both pictures many, many times, I'm sure. And those are the ovens inside of Auschwitz. It's estimated that 1.1 to 1.3 million people died at Auschwitz, most of them Jews, either by execution starvation, or disease from 1940 to 1945. Take the entire population of Indianapolis, add another 300,000 people to 500,000 people onto that, and wipe them all out, all of them, in five years. I visited on a cold and rainy day, which only seemed appropriate. And as we stood past that railroad track, about two, three hundred yards past that, as we stood there, our guide told us, he pointed to a picture that was on a plaque. And he goes, you're standing right there. And the picture showed a Nazi guard taking his thumb and pointing to the left and instructing a group of women, their children, and elderly to join that line. And when he pointed to the left, that meant something. That meant that you had minutes to live, maybe an hour, but you were going to walk on down to the gas chambers, and then your bodies would be taken to the crematoriums. The guide also said the ashes, as they would blow away or where they were removed, were just scattered about. He said, so the people that died are still here. The shoes I wore that day, I can't bring myself to wash them. But there was another line. One line on the other side of the picture. And, and, and he had been pointing, I'm sure, to the, both to the left and the right. And if you were in the right, you noticed those were able-bodied men, teenagers, both, both uh, young, uh, young girls uh, and boys. But they were the ones that were going to be slave labor. They were going to die. 
but they were going to live a little bit longer. Maybe they're going to live four or five months. If you ever heard of a survivor story, trust me, those people didn't go into the concentration camps in 1940, 41, 42. At the very latest, they entered in late 43 or early 44. You simply didn't live that long. But imagine you're in that line, and there goes your parents, and there goes your wife. And there goes your children. And you will never, ever see them again. How would you have felt? You'd have felt rage. You'd have felt so much, besides the fear, the rage, and also the desire for revenge. And guess what? Viktor Frankl felt all of those things. Viktor Frankl was a survivor of Auschwitz and other camps as well. He lost his wife in one camp. They were transferred to Auschwitz. And he watched as that guard stood there and went like this and saw his mother and his handicapped brother go off, his disabled brother go off, never to see them again. He wrote later that he said he had control over almost nothing. He said, I I couldn't decide when I could eat, when I could sleep, when I could go to the bathroom. I couldn't decide who lived, who got tortured, who died. He goes, the only thing that I could control was how I felt about the guards. And he said, rather than hate them, he had chosen to pity them. It was, he said, his only path to peace. Now, thank goodness we've never had to go through that, and I pray none of us would ever be faced with something that incredibly hard. But it can be done. It, it can be done to find some sort of, some sort of peace. It, it, it's not going to be consistent. It's not that the, the pain isn't going to be rushing back at times. But if you fear you have to walk alone during those, these difficult choices you have to make here, know that with certainty God walks with you. Here's the second suggestion. Ask yourself this. When was a time when I honored God's calling and now I regret it? I think I know the answer to that one as well. And I think the answer is is never. I mean, again, Frankel was never the same person after that. And I'm sure that that rage, that revenge, that fear came back at times. But he was always thankful for his decision. Always. I'm certain Joseph's decision changed him. But was it ever wrong? No. You have survived 100% of all the difficult decisions you have ever made. You're here. It can be done. You'll never look back and regret making what was the right thing to do. Here's the last one I would encourage you to do. For a moment, try and put yourself in that place and be Joseph. Put yourself in that moment, during that prayer when he was given the assurance that he was to raise this boy as his own, and that boy would raise the world up from sin. And then, place yourself at the manger. And and count the consequence against the blessing. Could you ever regret choosing to be Jesus' Father? No, I don't think you could. Then you'll never regret deciding to follow the Heavenly Father.
Let's pray. Father God, I'm sure that as we sit here today, someone has to make a difficult decision. And they're afraid. They're so afraid because they don't know what the consequences of that might be. But it's so hard to see anything, a path that clears out and the light points to You. But we know it does, Father. We absolutely know that it does. Just as it did for Joseph. So Father, for that person or for those people who are feeling that today, let them know, one, that we as a church will walk with them, but also let them know that You always will walk with them. You will always be there. Whether they turn to the left, turn to the right, go forward, retreat at times and go backwards, and the fear overwhelms them again, it will not overwhelm You. And that You're always right there with them. Father, I lift up this congregation. I lift them up as a body of of people who can support each other and can help those who are in need. And we, we, we see that so much at this time of the year, but we've seen in this church throughout the year. So, so I pray that those people that are here, maybe they're just visiting too, but they just know that we can do that for them, and we desire to do that for them. Father, we love You. We thank You for this time. And we lift it up in Jesus, Joseph's earthly son's name. Amen.